Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And today we have a super extra special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I am A.J. Brown. I am a author of a the YA fantasy book, Dream Country, which is coming out April 27th of 2021. And yeah, um, I write. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about Dream Country? As of the time of the recording, I'm about halfway through. So I'm like, what's yeah. going to happen with all <laughs> these moving parts in the novel right now? Um, yeah. can, you, can you talk a little about the novel and um, like no spoilers, obviously, but just like the three main characters and what is it like writing them or whatever you want to, however you want to take this is great. Uh, yeah, well, Dream Country is about three triplet gods of sleep, dream and nightmare. And essentially, like before the story started, like years ago, their mom, their mother was murdered and um, they were all suspects. So in order to like keep them away from each other because they didn't know who might get killed next, they got separated. Now they live completely separate lives in separate realms. They only interact uh, on one day, which is their birthday, which comes every so often because they're God, so it doesn't come every year. But um, (laughs) yeah, so they interact on their birthday. And um, on this day, they basically get a rest, a break from being gods because um, it's tiring for them. So uh, they lock all the mortals out of their realms and say, for these five days, no one can come in. And um, yeah, that's that's at the start of the story. And then uh, the what happens is a mortal child who is not supposed to be in the realm, obviously, he's been supposed to be locked out. And somehow he gets in and they, the triplets, have to end up uh, dealing with him. And this kind of throws them together in interesting ways. And yeah, it goes from there, really. Is there Um, what? Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I I was just curious if it's like part of a duology or a planned series. Uh, Yeah, it would be the first of a series, a trilogy. Yeah. Cool. Following up kind of on Kelly's question, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to write three main characters? I imagine that can get pretty difficult, like keeping everyone separated and um, writing those different personalities. Yes, it was. It was interesting because there are only two perspectives. Only two of the triplets get a perspective in the story. But I still had to consider the third perspective anyway, because like she is such uh, the dream goddess, which is the one that doesn't get the perspective. She's such a major factor. I still had to consider her. And all of their personalities are so different like anyone who has siblings will know that like you come with your own like <laughs> you, some you, you'll get middle child syndrome you'll get the ba- I'm I'm the baby when it comes to my siblings so I I related most to uh, Theo the sleep god in that sense because he's like he's very innocent he's like the peacemaker he just wants everyone to just he's just like guys just can we just get along that's him and that but then Torres who is the nightmare god he's the middle child and uh, I feel like that's very clear um he's, <laughs> he's he's kind of moody like he feels like he's being left out he feels he's very passionate he feels everything very intensely so if Torres is in a good mood he's in a very good mood if he's a bad mood then yeah that's not good <laughs> watch out <laughs> yeah you definitely need to watch out for that um, and then Fanta, who is the dream goddess, she's the eldest. 
and the only girl, which I feel like brings its own dynamic as well. She's very powerful, headstrong. Uh, she's she's very much like a goddess. She's queenly. She's very in control of everything around her. She wants to be in control of everything. And yeah, so they're all very different. And like the dynamic between them is so interesting because you have to consider how just because they're triplets, it doesn't mean that they're the same in the way they, they react to everything around them in the world. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I love sibling relationships just in any, in stories in general. So that was great to write. Can you talk a little bit about the research process for Dream Country um, from mythologies to food? Um, you post a lot about this on social media. So what was your kind of like citational process and like going through finding all the inspiration for this story? Um, well, I knew I wanted to have lots of cultures as the inspiration. I wanted to have cultures, uh, the main focus of cultures, I wanted to be from the African diaspora because the themes of the novel, a lot of it about, you know, being separated. I feel like that sibling relationship or kind of being separated is the same thing that African diaspora goes through. Like me here, I'm part of the African diaspora and I'm here in England. And then there will be other people from the African diaspora in America. There'll be other people in South America. They'll be, they're everywhere. And we kind of have that sibling relationship. We all came from the same place, but we went our separate ways. And now, so I wanted to have those cultures represented. So the cultures I landed on were kind of um, Brazil for for nightmares, uh, Kenya for dreams, and then Jamaica for sleep. And yeah, so a lot of research went into not, I didn't want it to be a direct reflection of the cultures because it's a fantasy. I didn't want it to be, it wouldn't have developed in the same way it would in our world, but I wanted it to be recognizable to the people from those cultures. Um, so it was more an at, catch, capturing an atmosphere. So like the clothing, the food, the language, are all inspired from this culture, but also they, in this world, they've kind of merged together. They've merged with my imagination. Uh, the research process of that was, it was fun because I was familiar already with a lot of stuff from Jamaican culture, just from my own family and uh, experiences. But when it came to Brazil and Kenya, and also there's some uh, Greek mythology in there, yeah, I wasn't as familiar with that. And that was actually really interesting. Like I, I, I just considered it like, a fun hobby like I was just um looking into everything things that would never have any reason to come up in the story <laughs> I was just looking into it because it plus I mean pandemic I couldn't go anywhere what right? else were you gonna do <laughs> I was traveling through my computer screen and I was just going to these places and I was having it was really great and I was lucky to have certain resources that allowed me to kind of delve deeper than the surface level like I uh, had access to like university libraries and stuff like that so that was really great. That makes such a big difference. Yeah, it does. Kind of still like on the writing line, but do you have writing rituals and has the Panini, aka the pandemic, changed them at all? Um. Well, I'm kind of, I'm like, when you go to a writing class, I'm what they tell you not to be. <laughs> because I <laughs> don't. I don't have any kind of schedule. I don't plan when I'm going to write. Like, I just do it. It's not even when inspiration hits me. It's just sometimes I'll be inspired and still not write anything. <laughs> I, I, It's really bad and I'm, I should be better at it. Um, <laughs> but I think it's mainly because I um, was at university while I was writing. So, you know, if you come back from a two-hour lecture and then have to come back and write a 4,000-word essay, 
you don't really feel like writing off. <laughs> like you, you have a PhD, don't you, Kelly? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you know, it's like kind of like juggling that academic side of things. Definitely. Like it's very, yeah. So my, I don't have any kind of writing schedule or anything, but when I manage to make myself sit down and write, I'll just like put on some music in the background and just see what happens. It's, it's a surprise to me what comes out every time. Uh, but I'm lucky in that respect because like the pandemic didn't disrupt anything because I didn't, I was already disrupted. <laughs> I'm naturally disrupted. <laughs> Do you make like book playlists or anything like that? Just like music help you or... I'm I don't I'm just like or do you put a candle on or I don't know if there's like sometimes I when I was writing my dissertation like I really had to make it like a thing I had to like trick myself into being like okay this is a thing we do every day now yeah otherwise I don't know if I'm gonna finish this thing no I don't I didn't have a playlist I usually just put on like low like lo-fi hip-hop or yeah when it came to um writing the cultures and getting that atmosphere I did have playlists for that um of like Brazilian and Kenyan and Jamaican artists. I had that one in the background, which was great. We know this book is coming out um, with Own Way and we wanted to kind of know about what the publishing process was like for you. Like, uh, did you submit Dream Country to a lot of different publishers before you landed with Own Way? Um, Kind of just like we had a few audience members who wanted to know about the process. Yeah. Well, I found out about Own Way in uh, October 2019 which is when Daughters in Inri, their first book, came out. I read that. And then I knew that Rennie, the author, was also a Black British woman. And I, uh, so I looked into her and I found out that she was published through Onway. But I was still writing at that point, so I wasn't querying it or anything. I started querying it in May 2020. And um, at first I was querying to agents because I thought, like, it's not really something you think about when you think about... Um, publishing you just think yeah I have to go with one of the big the big publishers like it's not something that you consider as an option but then um I was having a conversation with someone about the music industry and um I think there was a lot of stuff going on with like Megan the Stallion at the time <laughs> uh talking about her label and stuff like that and uh yeah the person I was talking to was like um talking about the benefits of being independent in stuff like that and I was thinking well, wait, there's, there's independent publishers as well. Why am I not looking into this? And then I remembered that I had already heard of Onway. So then I uh, queried them and, yeah, they got back to me quite quickly, which was nice. And, uh, yeah, we went from, from there back in May of 2020. The publishing experience was actually very calming, which sounds weird. It shouldn't be. <laughs> but... Um, considering everything that was going on at the time just in the world and in everyone's personal lives in general like the team at Onway were just so amazing at just keeping everything on track and keeping me involved as well which is something you don't get from those big publishing houses they made sure I had input in like every little detail which I was was so thankful for because they're such an amazing team and like they really they really know what they're doing when it comes to stuff like this which was so like so helpful for me because I had no idea what to expect especially because I wasn't going the route that I expected to go because if I had had an agent presumably they would be handling all this stuff but I didn't have that so yeah but it really it felt like a personal just one-on-one experience like it was a it was a great experience really and really great because we're a little bit almost a year from then and your book is going to be out 
already. Yeah. <laughs> That's so it amazing. Quick. It was very quick. I was surprised. Wow. We talked to Rennie and it was, it, it does seem like the independent publisher, what own way, like the culture that they've created or in, professionally is like agency to the authors at every step, like not tokenizing, obviously, because it's like for, by black women for black women, you know, a lot of the, or it seems like a lot of the texts are um, for everyone, but just like not tailored, you know, in the way that like the publishing, big publishing can like tokenize. Yeah. You don't feel like you're just there to be like a checklist, like, oh yeah, we have that black author, we have that Asian author coming up, we have that guy, we have this person. It feels authentic, like they really want to hear your story. And that's really great. This is kind of like we're interested in with like the podcast project. So like how to be, how can we be in generative relationship or conversation with each other as readers and writers? What do you, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I've seen a lot going on about this recently, about people talking about um, authors kind of invading on reviewer spaces. And I think it's very interesting because there's no definite line of like, when does this become a conversation? When does it become completely inappropriate? And as someone like myself, I engage in the reader side of things like so much. I'm on BookTube, I'm on Twitter talking about books. You know, there's just going to be one day when I become a published author and then suddenly will I not be able to have these conversations? Will I not be able to voice my opinion about uh, books that I've read because suddenly I'm in that? I don't know, it's a very strange line to have. But I think it's important that readers and writers have a convers- have a dialogue because like, that's how we improve. That's how we know what you want to read, what you want to be written but you, yeah, you also do need that space to, because otherwise you'll get writers who are just writing like a, it's like a group project all of a sudden, like you get an input, you get an input, everyone gets an input. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that, but you do want, if, for example, if you have a concern with the book um, or whatever you're doing, you want them to feel comfortable voicing that to you without feeling like you're going to attack them or whatever. And it's platforms like like what you two are doing that just allow that to happen. And I think that's really important. I'm glad that these platforms exist. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I guess kind of going along with that, do you think about your readers when you're writing? And does that influence the way you write about the cultures you've created or the way you play with the mythology in the story? Just kind of thinking about how a lot of the times the mythology that people are most familiar with is Greek and Roman mythology and kind of like playing with these different cultures and that sort of thing. Do you think about the readers when you're doing that? Um, Yes, that's a good question because, yeah, I have to think about the reader in two main respects. It's what you said in the fact that they're not going to be familiar with, well, at most what I could hope for is that they'd be familiar with one culture out of all of the ones I'm showing, but I can't really expect them to be familiar with every all three main cultures that I have. And that's a lot of responsibility because I feel like I'm introducing them to a new culture and a new mythology. And I I want to represent it in its reality, in the way that it actually is experienced on a daily basis, like right now. But I also want to add some of myself in there and make it fit the world that I have created. And that's a lot of responsibility. So I have to think about the reader in that respect um, I mean, luckily, mythology is just so diverse. It's so much 
more diverse than what people think that it is. People in mythology, they think, like you said, Greek and Roman, but there's so many stories and they can be, they can be gruesome, like grim fairy tale type gruesome, <laughs> or they can be like really sweet, like a first versions of romances are found in mythology. So it's, it was kind of like having these stories already made for me. And I had to think about the way that the readers would want to be given that. Um, I think the second way I think about the readers is the age, obviously, because it's a young adult novel. So I can't, well, it's not that I can't, but I, um, I have to make the world feel like what they would experience if they were in that world. Because a young, if you throw a young adult into a fantasy world, like Narnia, for example, they're going to have different experiences than if you throw an adult there or a child there. So I have to think about it through that lens, which is why the characters are like they're nineteen, so they're around that age to be that perfect like lens to look at it through. And yeah, so I was thinking of the reader the whole time though. And is that? Do you think that's kind of why you've like incorporated um, showing? these different cultures and different aspects of the culture into your, like, into your Twitter timeline. Like we looked through your Twitter timeline and saw that you were posting about like that lots of different aspects of the culture. It was so beautiful. Like it's like yeah. so aesthetically pleasing to like be like, Oh, look at all these beautiful pictures. I'm like going on a trip. And like I'm learning. Yeah. It's like, like I'm going through your Twitter feed and it's like, okay, here's a lesson about Jamaican food. And here's a lesson about, I don't know, Kenyan mythology or something. Yeah. I, I wanted to take people well, first of all, I wanted to pay respects to the cultures that these came from. I didn't. I don't want to just take things from cultures that, even if we do have that sibling relationship, so to speak, I don't want to take things and not set and not pay respect to the cultures. So I wanted to just have a dedicated space where I could say, "Hey, look at these amazing cultures," and not just that, but look at these stories that actually come from people of these cultures. Like I'm, mm-hmm. this is just my perspective. But own voices perspectives are are necessary as well and yeah it's like what you were saying I want to take people on that journey to feel like they are completely immersed in it from the food to the language everything so yeah it was really important to me to have that space on social media to kind of showcase these cultures. So your book is called Dream Country and I'm more of the like language play person in this duo. Like you can expect the puns from me and not from Jesse. So I wrote this question. I'm curious what your dreams are for YA fantasy, for like the genre and for the communities who are invested in it. Um, I think YA fantasy is moving in a very, it's moving in a great direction right now. Like they, we're getting so many new perspectives, so many new cultures and identities. And like it amazes me because you look at it how it is now how it's starting to be you think where was all this before right (laughs) where has this all been like I grew up reading from perspectives that had nothing to do with me or anyone that I knew and I just had to kind of go with it and I couldn't complain about it if I wanted a story that's the story I was going to get and people now who are reading YA are getting such a more varied experience which is amazing it's like there's something out there for everyone. There's an author out there. Even if an author only ever found one reader, they could find that perfect reader for them in the market as it is now, compared to in the past where a lot of people didn't feel like reading was for them because YA didn't make it seem like it was. 
and why is it's such an important age range I hate when people call it a genre <laughs> it's not a genre but it's such an important age range because it, it's like that bridge between when you're a child you might have your parent read to you or you might get assigned reading in school but then you grow up and there's nothing to bridge that gap so you lose that passion for reading and YA is there to to give you that passion to say like this is what stories are capable of being these these are why stories are important and I also, I don't think YA is, it's not exclusive. I think a lot of adults um, see YA as a label and they get scared, like, oh, wait, I'm not, I'm not 15. I can't read this. But it's, it's, it's a suggestion. You don't actually have to be 15. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can still pick it up when you're twice that age. It's fine. Yeah. And I think even for uh, older audience, it's important because a lot of the themes of YA let you go back to that younger age and a lot of people use that lose that connection when they get older but yeah I, I love the direction that YA is going in like it's amazing so do we <laughs> we're very happy <laughs> for the most part some of it's not great but <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are you reading watching and listening to these days um well for me I'm always I'm always engaging in some type of story I can't not have a story on hand so right now I'm reading a lot. <laughs> um, I'm reading a self-published book called Sword of Kaigen, which is like a Japanese military adult fantasy. Um, that's really good so far. I've been reading a lot of uh, middle grade books as well, like um, Amari and the Knight Brothers and by B.B. Alston, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if either of you have read... Um, Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifuaco. Not oh, yet. I think it's on our list. It's on our TBR <laughs> for sure. It's the top of your TBR. <laughs> okay, all top. right, all right. It was it was my favorite YA fantasy of last year that I read last year. So yeah, you definitely need to read it. It's great. Yeah, in terms of watching though, I'm I my pandemic comfort has just been to rewatch old TV shows. So you know, a lot of Disney, a lot of Disney, a lot of Pixar, a lot of Star Trek, just anything I can. Nice, a Trekkie. Jessica's yeah. also a Trekkie. I'm <laughs> yeah. so excited. <laughs> Are you going to watch the new Mighty Duck show? I saw that that's making a comeback with the old cast and I'm like, what is going on? I'm so old. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really about the, the re... <laughs> yeah, the reboots. I don't know about that. The reboots, they're not, they're not really for me. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, a lot of, I think during a pandemic, it's all whatever we've all been going through in these past few months, it's good to like go back to those stories that want, you already know that this is going to be a story for you. Because that's kind of a risk you take whenever you come into a new story. It's like, is this going to be for me? Once you know, it's, it's so comforting to be able to go back there and feel safe in that story. Mm, yeah, definitely. This is our final question. We're curious who you talk to about books. And if you think it's magical, and if so, why? I, it's going to make me sound concerned, but I do talk to myself about books. That's excellent. I mean, I I have an I do an English literature degree, mm -hmm. so there were obviously were loads of other people I was talking to about books as well. But those were 
you know, the literary books, you know, like the Shakespeare, the Jane Austen. The canon. Yeah, the canon. In quotes, (laughs) let's put it in quotes. (laughs) Yeah, there's only only so much that I really want to talk about that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, I get it. I'm ready, (laughs) let's move on. But when it comes to like the stuff I'm reading for fun. Exactly. Like all the the books I just mentioned to you. I don't really have anyone to talk to about that. I don't really have anyone that read, engages in that genre. Uh, For the reasons I've said, because it's, for younger audiences or because it's fantasy and you know they want real gritty stuff <laughs> for some reason I have no idea but um yeah so I, I do talk to myself and I think I I kind of let the um the literary analysis side of my brain comes out and is like what did you think of of this part what do you think of this character development and this look how this sentence was constructed on page 322 yeah. And then the fangirl side of my brain comes out and is like, wow, <laughs> let's read it again. You know? and, yeah. Yeah. So I'm in dialogue constantly with myself. I mean, I should, I should probably find someone. <laughs> like, I think <laughs> you, two, you two are very lucky to have each other to talk to about this kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, I don't mind. I like talking to myself. <laughs> I'm a writer. That's what probably we do. excellent we company. Yeah. It's Just great. the best. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to finish Dream Country and read the rest of the novels. And it comes oh, thank out you for having me. April 27th. 7th. All right. Yes, April 27th. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We hope you've enjoyed this interview with Ashe Brown. We'll put links in the show notes for where you can find her book and how to find her on social media. Until next time, stay magical. Stay magical.